0: show dedicated to celebrating the ongoing mystery and dream that is cinema, and tracing film history through the decades via the films that have meant the most to me. My name is Jonty Cornford, and I'm a writer, editor, composer, music producer, and a lover of films. This week on the show, I'm joined by friend of the show and my younger brother, Marty Cornford, to talk about something that we haven't really talked about before on this podcast, a TV show. The Last of Us is one of the first games that I ever played all the way through on PlayStation 4, and The Last of Us Part 2 is almost single-handedly responsible for getting me through the lockdown of 2020. So when it was announced that HBO would be adapting it with Chernobyl showrunner Craig Mazin at the helm, I was incredibly excited. Join me and my brother Marty as we talk about HBO's The Last of Us.
1: There's hope for the world.
0: Why bother going on? You haven't seen the world,
1: so you don't know. You keep going for family.
0: I'm not family.
1: No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a monster. She so much as twitches.
0: Don't okay.
1: If I'm taking you with me, you do what I say when I say it. Get any advice on the best way west? Yeah,
0: go east. You've come this far, then you know what's out there.
1: You're not gonna scare us. Scared you?
0: You have a greater purpose than any of us could have ever imagined.
1: Be careful who you put your faith
0: in. You might not be her father, but It's you someone's. You trust me? Welcome back to the show. We have another special guest, friend of the show. You've been on a number of times now. Mm. People may know you from the chaotic end of year special <laughs> that spanned <laughs> two episodes. Oh, Marty yes. Cornford, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you. It is a pleasure as always to be on.
0: What's going on? How you been?
1: Um, pretty good. Oh no, actually, I've been sick this week. Mm. Um, been throwing up a lot. Yeah. I can't eat Vegemite for a bit now because I always eat ate Vegemite every day. But um, I, I, I reverse ate Vegemite on Tuesday, <laughs> so it's kind of uh, left a sour taste in my mouth, if you will. Um, so I, I regret s- asking.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> so I've been a bit sick, so I um, had a couple of days working from home, because the grind doesn't stop.
0: That's right. So we're here today, not to talk about a movie. No. In a departure from the formula, we're here to talk about a TV show. Mm. Um, first time on the show, not talking about a movie, I believe. Yes. Uh, we are going to talk about The Last of Us, mm. which uh, aired on HBO or Binge if you're in Australia mm. or, I don't know, probably other streaming services around the globe um, earlier this year. Um, so... I'm a game fan as well. I should establish here at this point as well. I've played the first game five or six times now. Mm-hmm. And I had also played the second game a number of times before this season came out. So I come from that perspective. You- I had
1: not started playing the game. I haven't played any of the games, right? I've started playing since. Okay. I finished watching it, but throughout the duration of the show, I had never, I just knew zombies-
0: Mm. Oh, this is going to be my first mm. question. Is like, What was your like knowledge of the game, mm. if anything, before watching it? Like, Did you know anything about The Last of Us before the show started?
1: I knew there were zombies, and I knew that
0: a lot of people didn't like the second one for a dumb reason. Yeah, we might get into that at, towards the end in a spoilerific section.
1: But I didn't know what that dumb reason is. I actually still don't know what that dumb reason is. Um, well, it depends...
0: If you want spoilers, yeah. we can go into a spoiler <laughs> section later. Yeah. Um, um, I will warn, however, spoilers for season one and the first game immediately. Yeah. If you're listening. Um, depending on how this goes, we might have spoilers later on for later elements of the story. I will warn people if we start to get into that territory. So I will warn you if there are spoilers mm-hmm. beyond the end of season one. Um, but yeah. So you hadn't played the game. You sort of knew zombies maybe.
1: Yeah. I knew, and I knew the zombies looked cool. <clears throat> they look incredible. Some yeah. of the best looking zombies I ever saw. Um, I knew there was a guy called Joel and a girl called Ellie. Um, and they That's had kind to of it. get from A to B. Yeah. Which is pretty much the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I had heard about the game as like the pinnacle of gaming is what it had been described to me as. And I only got into gaming... Probably a similar age to you so you just got a PlayStation not long ago right Yeah
1: like a, m- a month ago
0: I think I was probably it's like 4 years ago now actually It's mm. so maybe a bit younger but like um was never into gaming we ha- we had a PlayStation that we got as kids that um came with our TV that I think we were allowed to play in the holidays right yeah, exclusively holidays, and we it was Lego Star Wars. It was Lego FIFA. Star Wars, FIFA. Uh, we weren't
1: uh, we weren't allowed to play driving games because oh, that's know, right. They didn't it want would. us to be bad, and that's kind of that's valid, probably. Same um, with guitar hero, guitar.
0: <laughs> Learn to play the actual guitar. <laughs> yeah,
1: play the actual guitar. You bastard. <laughs> um, that's not Which, how yeah. my dad speaks. Like, yeah. and oh. both of us play the guitar. So, yeah. Yeah. I was um,
0: quite good at guitar, I would say.
1: I would say you're better than me, but we're both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but hey, neither of us play Guitar Hero. Neither of us play so. Guitar Hero.
1: Um, yeah. I got a Switch maybe three years ago, yeah, and okay. I played Super Mario Odyssey, mm-hmm. which is a sick
0: game. Mm. So my, my gaming history is very much like I'm a narrative guy. That's why I watch movies all the time and I read books. And part of the reason I could never really get into games initially was the lack of narrative momentum because I'm not... I didn't grow up immersed in, like, the mechanics of gameplay as, like, Mm. something that I enjoyed. I really needed narrative. Um, And so when I picked up (laughs) The Last of Us on PlayStation 4, with the remaster, I'd been told it's one of the best games you'll ever play. Um, Had no idea how narrative-driven it was. Mm. Um, Which if you've played the game before, this isn't a surprise to you, but there's very little room for, if any, deviating from the path that's set before you. Whereas plenty of, like, <coughs> one of the more, more most recent games that i played all the way through was Elden Ring is entirely up to you in terms of, like, it's very player-driven in terms of where you take the narrative. It's a massive open-world fantasy-type vibe. And I, I've come to appreciate that sort of thing more. But I think playing... The Last of Us for the first time, I was really surprised by how awesome the story was. Mm. Um, And there's, it's interesting to, I won't rehash it here, but like hearing Neil Druckmann talk about the story first before he even conceptualised it as a game. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I played the game a bunch of times. First time I'd ever played a video game and cried. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is happening to me?
1: Like, and the... Like the worst thing is I know certain people are carking it soon and I'm, and I'm going to cry or like, <laughs> you know, the first major death.
0: Which, we can get spoilers. Spoilers. spoilers, spoilers, everyone for the first season of the first game.
1: Like when Sarah dies, yeah,
0: it's like, shit, I'm yeah. sad, mm-hmm. but
1: I know Tess is close.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we can get into Tess as well. Cause it's. Mm. Different in the game to the show. There's yeah. a few we can talk about the differences and the same mm. and things like that.
1: And I know I'm going to be sad when Tess dies because you know Tess.
0: <laughs> yeah, Tess is great. Yeah. Um, and then also in 2020, Part Two came out on mm-hmm. PS4, and I don't need to tell anyone that 2020 sucked. <laughs> we all know 2020 what? sucked. Um, Part Two pretty much is largely responsible for getting me through lockdown in 2020 i i just immersed so deep into that game as someone um,
1: who lived with you that is accurate
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were living together at the time um yeah i just i i'm one i'm not one of those people that subscribe to the frankly bullshit arguments that part two is disrespectful toward the fan base we can get into that later um that's not to do with season one and the, and the first game. But um, yeah, so I came to this as a big fan of the story already. Mm. Um, so this will be interesting in terms of like how we experience different parts of the show coming from different perspectives and different feelings about the material already.
1: Um, just before we get into it, yeah. I was just thinking like, you know, how people say, oh, like Pedro Pascal is the dad who looks after the... Yeah. Yeah. The Grogu's older than Dinjarin.
0: Yeah, like, facts. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a thousand years old, right?
1: I think he's fifty.
0: Oh, okay, so oh, Yoda's like, a thousand, is isn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, okay.
1: Like, yeah, like nine hundred or something. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, like uh, uh, Grogu is fifty years old, and they say that in the first episode. I feel like Din Djarin's probably about fifty.
0: Yeah, or in his thirties or forties. Yeah, or so like, they're yeah. the same.
1: Cause if you think about it, if he was found during the pur- the search. Yeah, is it the purge or the search? The purge. I'm like the biggest. <laughs> don't come at me. <laughs> i i probably know more than you no
0: that's a big claim. Um, no, we, we are gonna do a star wars podcast at, yeah. at one point i want to have you on to talk about yeah it, that's so, that's yeah. a good
1: idea but um yeah it's just weird that he's older that like grog is older than him i don't know that's unrelated just yeah. you know like pedro pascal being a dad who looks after a young person
0: that's actually older than him
1: that's older than him but in this case he is older than ellie
0: Yeah. Um, Another question, have you seen or had you seen Chernobyl before this came out? No. Okay. So I went, I I watched uh, Chernobyl just after, I think it was 2019. It came out in 20, I didn't see it as it was airing, um, but that was Craig Mason's previous project, Mm. um, who we should say is the creative director, uh, whatever, I don't know what you call his role, Mm. I'm blanking on it. Showrunner. Um, Showrunner, there you go. Um, Of this show, his previous project was Chernobyl, which if you haven't seen it, is a five-episode miniseries about Chernobyl, about starts with the explosion of the the nuclear reactor um, and then basically just goes through methodically how something like this happens. Um, And I just think it's wonderful. And that was part of when I saw that because um, there have been a, a few attempts at adapting The Last of Us to the screen. There was a movie adaptation that didn't pick up any speed um, and I'd seen it come up a couple of times, like, oh, X name is attached, is attached to an adaptation of The Last of Us. I'm like, oh, that may not go. so As soon as I saw Craig Mason's name attached to this and HBO, I was like, now we're talking. Because Chernobyl is fantastic. Um, and I think it actually... Thematically, has a lot to do with The Last of Us as well, which you can get into later as well, if you like. Um, but I guess initial thoughts—we've we've both seen the entire first season now. How do you feel about it overall? Um, because I'm the movie guy. I watch some TV sometimes, um, and I know you're much more of a TV watcher than I am. Mm-hmm. So we could probably come from it from come at it from different perspectives mm-hmm. in terms of what we want out of narrative. But as a, as a watcher of tv Mm. how did the first season feel for you overall
1: i freaking loved it like
0: because
1: for me something i want in a season of tv is i want to be able like get to watch each to be able to watch each episode but also be able to watch as a season like like there are places for bottle episodes i think there are some Really amazing bottle episodes of TV that existed, like, uh, like fly for example in Breaking Bad. Yep, it's probably the perfect bottle episode. Great example. There's a couple of great. There's a an a, an episode about a pen in a community. Incredible bottle episode. But um,
0: I mean, we're talking about Mando. There's that episode with Bill. The first episode with Bill Burr in it in the prison. That's mm. a great example of a bottle episode.
1: That's in my top three Mando episodes. But like, I love a series that is clearly not a stretched out movie. Yeah. Um, Which is something I didn't like as much about Kenobi. Mm-hmm. That should have been a movie. Yeah. Because episode three and four could have been 20 minutes of a movie. Yeah. Um, So that's the thing I really liked about The Last of Us. There was not a single wasted piece of screen.
0: It does feel like it's the perfect medium mm. to tell this story in it.
1: Yeah. Like- there was not a single time when I thought they're spending too much time on this. And like, I've watched a lot of seasons of the Arrowverse. <laughs> and I started watching it because I was, I had just had surgery and I was like, I've got, I've got buckets of time. And I was like, I really want to get up to crisis on infinite earths. But I ended up, I had to, I had to cancel my stand because I, I had too much going on money wise. But, um, there is some shit in there. Like they're like twenty-two. Pretty much all the seasons have twenty-two episodes. There's always at least six episodes that sh- just shouldn't exist. But because it's a season on TV, yeah. and and on a network, they have to put that many in. But when you have a how many episodes did this have? Like eight.
0: I think it's nine. Let me nine. Really check. But yeah,
1: um, there's not a single thing in there that shouldn't have been in there. There's not a single thing that of someone who's not familiar with the story that thought. Oh, there should have been, you know, they should have fleshed that out more. They shouldn't have fleshed that out. It was just the, like, it's one of the better crafted seasons of TV I've seen. Definitely the best thing I've seen on HBO. And that's coming from a a big Thrones fan.
0: Yeah, likewise.
1: Big fan of House of the Dragon. I loved Mm -hmm. Peacemaker, but this is...
0: And Chernobyl is another yeah. HBO one as well.
1: I um, you know, I love Euphoria. I love it all. I haven't finished Euphoria. It's great. Um, like, but this is one of the perfectly crafted, like, each episode. Like, I could go back and watch episode five if I wanted to by itself. Yeah, I wouldn't want to because it's heartbreaking. I could go back and watch episode three if I wanted to. Once again, I wouldn't because I would cry. But like. It's like I can watch a single episode and enjoy it for its story, but I can also watch the whole season. Yeah, which I think is what makes a really great season of TV.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes sense as an overarching narrative, but you can also drop in mm. and experience single episodes. Yeah,
1: that's how yeah. I should have said it in one yeah. sentence.
0: No, 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 I was <laughs> reaffirming. Um, yeah, I think I, I same. I love it. I am not. I've already said this before. I'm repeating myself, but I'm not a TV guy. I do watch occasionally like a tv show my big thing is that i struggle like i've i still haven't finished breaking bad because i don't i i I, it's not that i get daunted by how many episodes i have to get through um it's more just like because i'm in the rhythm of watching 90 minute to three hour films Mm -hmm. and then moving on to the next thing um i have to really love a show to get into it Um, especially with, like, Breaking Bad. There's, what, five, six seasons? Five, yeah. Um, I know lots of people have felt this way about Game of Thrones. They haven't watched it up until this point, but the longer they leave it, the more material there is for them to catch up on. Um, Whereas something like The Last of Us, I know that it's a self-contained story that has a beginning, middle, and end. Mm. And so going into this, I was... I mean, the fact that I'm a fan of the game helps as well. But it's much more of a I know I'm investing in something that I'm going to get closure and resolution out of as opposed to, for example, haven't seen The Walking Dead but I've heard starts off hella strong and then starts to suffer from what you were talking about with the Arrowverse stuff where it starts to fall into episodes for the sake of feeling episodes mm. and it just keeps limping on a little bit and mm. starts to lose its drive um, and we'll talk about Twin Peaks later on in this um as we get closer to well, – as we're going through the David Lynch narrative on this show, um, that's something that season two falls into as well, um, where all of a sudden it's now, well, this is a big successful TV show. Let's pump out 20 episodes. It's
1: like I, I've always found that there's a place for a Monster of the Week kind of TV show.
0: Yeah. but Doctor Who. Great Doctor example. Who. Star Trek.
1: Yeah. But like – they need a compelling lead. They need an overart like, like, like Mando, for example, there's, you know, three or four monster of the week episodes in each season, but it's because, you know, and like a lot of people criticize it for this, that he has to go to see Amy Sedaris. And then she says, yes, I can give you this thing, but you have to go to B. So then he goes to B, he fights a monster, he gets the thing from the Jawas or the something. And then he comes back to Amy Sedaris and she's like, Oh, yeah, there's the thing. So, like, it's a monster of the week, but it gets you to the next place. Yeah. But something like Arrowverse, and I haven't seen any Walking Dead, but it's just like, oh, yeah, we left, like, we're leaving the episode in the same place we started. And that is never the case in The Last of Us.
0: Yeah, The Last of Us is has such strong momentum mm. towards when you know the entire story. This is why I think not only do I think Joel and Ellie are two of the best crafted fiction characters in fiction, full stop, of the 21st century, but as a narrative, it's so well-conceived and so watertight and so thematically not just dense, but, like, it makes complete sense. As soon as I was watching episode one knowing where this story was going, everything almost seems inevitable mm. because it's all spelt out in both Joel and Ellie's characters where this is headed, mm. um, which makes the conclusion at the end of the final episode work so well. So and I think elevates what is a great story to one of the, the great stories mm. in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, because, and we'll get into this at some point, um, There are brilliant, compelling arguments for Joel and what he decided and what his decision was. Mm. And there are brilliant, compelling arguments against what Joel does. And both of which I think are entirely valid. And that's what makes fiction and drama the best. It's
1: like this is what makes this last episode, the last episode of The Last of Us infinitely better i hate always bring than season eight of game of thrones yeah because it's like everyone's like oh like she should have done this she should have done that and the argument is genuinely about how they wrote like the writing of the character
0: yeah it's more of a meta
1: yeah like they should have written her differently because you don't understand the character but in this we're like 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 should he have told her should he I've like woken her up and said, this is your decision. Should he have done this? Like the conversation is not about, they should have written her or him. They should have written Joel like this. It's what would we have done? How, would, yeah. how do we think the Joel? The character yeah.
0: makes sense yeah. and is fully realized. And so it's less about, well, the writers should have done this. It's mm-hmm. more about, this is how I feel about, the actions that this person made because
1: he's so human. Yes, he's so, so what human.
0: What I might do is real quick is just for people that may need a quick recap. Um, this takes place in the post-apocalypse, where um, a fungal infection has evolved, um, as implied in the show, not in the game. This is an addition um, because of global warming. <sighs> um, caught the Cordyceps virus. The fungal infection has evolved to be able to survive warmer temperatures which means that they now can inhabit human bodies big outbreak um if the fungus takes over humanity and most people um, either die or get turned into um, infected either so there's runners there's clickers and there's a bloater that we see in episode 5 so cool Um, and there are more that we see as the story continues into season 2 and and episode 2 of the game which I won't spoil because it's pretty hectic Um, so and Joel loses his daughter Sarah on day 0 on uh, Mm. infection day Um, we then jump 20 years ahead in time and Joel and his not really explained not a wife but his partner Tess Um, are tasked by um, a woman called Marlene, who is the leader of the Fireflies, who are the the rebel group um, against Fedra, who are the occupying governing force in this post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, They are tasked with um, transporting this girl, Ellie. Um, They find out because she is immune to the infection, um, their job is to basically travel across the country with Ellie, deliver her to the people that are going to be able to um, start making a cure. We get to the end and um, I'm obviously brushing over an entire <laughs> season of television here, but just uh, broad strokes, um, Joel and Ellie um, reach their destination. Um, they have along the way healed each other's wounds and sort of become this father-daughter group, um, which we can get into some of the stuff in the last episode, which I was just sobbing. Um, At which point Joel realises that the operation will kill Ellie Mm. in removing the stuff from her brain to make a cure. And so he um, kills a bunch of people, including a doctor, which will become important in season two, um, to retrieve Ellie and also shoots and kills Marlene. Um, tells Ellie a lie, which is that there are a bunch of people who are immune um, and there was nothing that they could do. They've actually stopped looking for a cure. Um, and they go back to where Tommy and his new wife um, have set up in a sort of community, self-contained, to live a happy life. Um, Ellie asks him to confirm is everything you said about the fireflies true? He looks at her dead in the face and says, yes, it's all true. She says, okay, roll credits. That's the end of the first season. So, th- yeah. Fir- first question, does Ellie believe Joel?
1: No way. <laughs> There's no way.
0: I, I agree. But. And, it, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil season two. Yeah, in the second game, but knowing where season two goes, I think the end of season one. This this point at which Ellie, I think, knows that Joel is not telling her the truth. The okay that she says, some people have said, is her believing him. I, I think that's probably not the case. I think she's too smart for that. Some people have said it's her deciding to believe. The lie, even though she knows it's a lie. She doesn't know what the lie is hiding. But she decides, I actually need to believe this. So she says, okay, I'll believe you. Um, Or it's more of a resigned, okay, this is where we are. You've lied to me. uh, This changes our relationship.
1: And how much, like, there's no way that like Ellie would be able to guess all the things that Joel did for them to, like, all the things that are encapsulated in that lie. Like he killed the doctor, he killed Marlene. He told her that there were more cures. He like, there's a lot of things he did. And like, it's like Ellie could believe that like, there are more people. Like there's no way of us knowing what like Ellie thinks is a line, isn't a lie, which is just why it is so compelling.
0: Yeah. And when they were testing the game, Mm. the play testing um this was the central conflict that they would ask people that they would get in to test the game is did Joel do the right thing
1: and all the parents yeah, that's right so yeah. it was
0: it was about fifty fifty but when they uh, when they separate the data for just the parents who were responding, almost a hundred percent of them said yes, Joel did the right thing mm. Because um, I think that's part of what makes this story so powerful to me is that it's the idea of um, unconditional love. Mm. We talk about unconditional love as if it's kind of easy. Like, well, like uh, like a parent and a child, of course, you love them unconditionally. What if the cost is a cure for the entire human race? Mm. If you if that love is unconditional, sucks to be the rest of the human population because Joel's gonna come in and wipe wipe those firefly dudes mm-hmm. out and, and retrieve Ellie. Um,
1: the thing yeah. for me is through my line of work, I see a lot of like children who have their voices like taken away,
0: mm.
1: and that's where my thing, I guess, issue comes up with what Joel did because. Like, because Ellie has no choice. She has no say. Mm-hmm. She has no... And and, while then, and I, then
0: he's lied to. And
1: then he's lied to. Yep. I think... And, I'm like, I'm not Joel. <laughs> but, like, I don't think he necessarily did the wrong thing. He saved Ellie. But I think, you know, like, children get dismissed all the time. Like, horrendously. So, should she have been able to make that own decision... But then Joel knew what she would have done, so then it's like, yeah, then that's why he did it. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of where my mind goes. As a social worker, I'm like, like children lose their voice all the time. Mm.
0: And, and Marlene yeah. says to him, "It's like you know, this is what Ellie wanted." Mm. And we have that scene earlier. I don't remember if it's in the last episode or the second to last episode with the giraffe. At which point Joel says, "You know, you don't have to. We don't have to go through it. We could just go back and live our lives with." Tommy Um, and she says to him no I need to do this because of all the things that I've done to get here I have to do it and he looks at her and says then we do it which makes his decision then to not give her a choice and take she's actually already made the choice that she Mm. wants to do it and she's told him that that's what she wants to do she may not know that it's going to mean her death yeah but she still made it clear this is what I want to do Mm. and Joel as the parent figure takes that choice away from her yeah. and acts out of parental love. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've been listening, but HBO have been putting out a weekly podcast with each episode. Been. Unreal. Would highly recommend it to people. It's way better than this shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with Craig Mazin, showrunner, and um, Neil Druckmann, who's the writer-director of The Game, mm-hmm. um, and Troy Baker hosts, who's the voice of Joel in The oh, Game again. and also shows up as James in episode eight, who Ellie slices and dices with that uh, with that cleaver um, in one of the, I, I think one of my favourite episodes is episode eight with David and James. Um, but they talk about this idea that love isn't always this sweet, soft and fluffy thing. Like love can actually drive people to do horrible things and this Mm. is kind of the heightened final example of that where love drives joel to do something that from an objective point of view you could very reasonably argue was completely morally and ethically wrong Mm. he sacrificed a cure for humanity to get his daughter back not even his real daughter but this this mm. person who has entered his life and, and filled that it's selfish because now he feels like he has been healed of that trauma of Sarah being taken from him in his past. Mm. He is I, I actually don't think Joel has a choice. I think he is unable of even conceiv like considering the fact that he could let Ellie die. Like I don't mm. think that's an option for yeah. him. I think he's already done that and it is not an option for him to go through that grief again. Mm. Um, and I
1: think you know that's what the first eight episodes shows. Like, and it to come to Joel's defense, like Marlene didn't give Ellie that choice either. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, she was never given the autonomy that she deserved. Which you know,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, while we're on the podcast as well, um, on the last episode of the podcast that came out with the last episode, Ashley Johnson was on the podcast who voices Ellie in the games. Mm. And I don't know if you know this, played Ellie's mum in that flashback
1: Oh, scene. yes, yes, yes. I did know that.
0: Um, which is, I think, as soon as I heard her voice in that cold open, I was like, it's Ellie. <laughs> it's Ellie. <laughs> like, and when you when you read and hear about the impact that Ashley Johnson had on the creation of the character of Ellie... Having her play the genetic mother of the TV version of Ellie, I just think is wonderful. Mm. Such a great choice. Um, and she's fantastic in, in that that one scene that she has.
1: Bella Ramsey is fucked good. Yeah, she's good. Like, like, they are one of the... My goodness, they're good. Like one of the best young actors going. And like, I remember watching them in Game of Thrones and it was like, Oh, yeah. Woo. But after seeing them in this, I'm like, holy crap.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's fantastic. And Pedro Pascal as well, I think. Like, I raised an eyebrow, I think, when I first heard his name attached to this as Joel. But then as soon as you see him on screen, it's like, yep, that's him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I can speak to this as a game fan. One of the really great things about this show is, has been seeing how they've taken the things about the game that really matter and replicating them. Not replicating them, but representing them on screen really faithfully. Mm. So Joel and Ellie, they're the two most important. If they don't work, the whole story, the whole narrative falls apart. Yeah. Casting those two, perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And um, it's one of those things that like, if you're not a game fan, it doesn't really matter as long as it works as a TV show, but as a game fan, it works as a TV show, but it also works as a perfect adaptation. And the mm. best adaptations don't just copy and paste. So there is plenty of stuff in this show that actually deviates from the game. Mm. Um, one of which we're just talking—we can go through a few of these. Tessa's death, right? Yeah. In the game, um, which I guess this is a spoiler for you, but you've seen the show yeah. already. Um, her death happens off screen. So we are actually playing as Joel at this point in the game. Um, same location, mm. in like the Capitol building. Um, you actually have to clear out that room. So when we're in the show, everyone's already dead and then a bunch of infected show up. In the game, you that you actually have to clear out that whole room of enemies. Mm. And while you're going up the stairs and around, up onto the, the um, balcony area... You hear a gunshot, and then by the time you're back up and you can look down from the balcony to the bottom of that big open area in the middle of the Capitol building, Tess has already been shot. Mm. So it's kind of this brutal blink and you miss it. Uh, like how quickly death can just come for mm. you, and it doesn't, it's not this ceremonious thing. I actually think the scene where she dies in the show is so much better. Because I was so going to say better. that
1: sounds almost like there's something. Like, it's something that, you know, like to go back to Game of Thrones, the first couple of seasons do so well. Like, like good death can just come. Yeah. So, like, while I haven't played that in the game yet, I almost prefer that. It's just like, yeah,
0: And, and that's fuck off, al- you're dead. Almost <laughs> like, entirely to do... One of the things that the TV show can do that you can't do in the game is in the game you are entirely bound by Joel's perspective. Yes, of course. Because you're playing as Joel... Whereas in the TV show, we can linger in that room and watch Tess's final moments. Mm. Whereas when you're playing as Joel, you can't see it because Joel can't see it. Yeah. Um, which then also means there's another departure from from the game is we get these really awesome um, expansions of the world. So we get a couple of cold opens from before the apocalypse happens. Mm. Um, one of which is the very first thing we see in the show which is that talk show sequence mm. um, that's entirely new for the show um, and then also the scene in jakarta with the um oh of course yeah with the surgeon the mm. i think she's a surgeon um the first time that she sees the fungus has grown in a human body
1: i had a hair in my mouth that night <laughs> and i freaked the fuck out
0: yeah and even the way that the fungus behaves has been changed mm. for the show. Um, in the game, you get bitten um, and saliva transfer um, or you breathe in spores. In the show, they've introduced this thing which I'm um, listening to the, the official podcast, Neil Druckmann saying, I wish I'd thought of that when I was making the game and um, that it's kind of like this hive mind almost mm. element where the fungus attaches to itself through the mouth. So, when you get bitten, there's actually fungus coming out of the infected person's throat mm. and attaches itself to the, to the new host. Um, so, and that obviously we see that in, in pretty horrific detail when Tess um, sacrifices herself. And um, again, we see that, that theme of love showing up where it's almost like it's shot like this tender emotional love scene with a kiss with the infected, but it is horrific to watch, yeah. to watch the fungus take, take over um, before she makes that sacrifice. Um, episode three is probably the biggest departure. We should talk about that. The That's the Bill, Bill and Frank, and Frank episode. episode. So in the game we meet, I think it's Bill... I get the names mixed up. Bill. Yeah. We meet Bill for five, ten minutes um, and we see a note from Frank. We never meet Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a hint with the um, magazine in the back of the car that Bill and Frank weren't just partners. They were partners in the mm-hmm. game. And that's that's alluded to. I whereas in the show, we get this amazing episode. <sighs> yeah. Um, that ruined me. Yeah, which is really sad, but I actually think is like that's the story of two people that won in this post apocalyptic world. Oh. They, 100%. they got their happy ending. They they mm. went out on their own terms.
1: And they helped Joel and Ellie get to where they needed to go. Yeah. The thing so like my favorite TV show. <laughs> so my favorite, not the best, before anyone comes at me, <laughs> my favorite TV show is Parks and Rec. So being able to see, and like, you know, like Ron Swanson is one of the great TV characters. Seeing Nick Offerman play a Ron Swanson type and have him survive a zombie apocalypse and him being a gay dad just f- made me so, like... There was just something about, like, Ron would have survived. Like, Ron... Like, the way that Ron is would have got him through a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. But, that episode is some of the best TV I've, like, yeah, that was fucked good. (laughs) Like, and from the way they meet to where they get, like the way that like love can form in the most horrendous situations in like almost like a captive kind of, But, like, it's not a, like, you know, Beauty and the Beast kind of. It's not that kind of, oh, that's a bit fucked kind of thing. It's, like, they fall in love in the most horrendous, gross, like, there's a fucking apocalypse going on. And the two most unlikely of people happen to meet and they make a beautiful life together while the world's on fire. Mm. It is so beautiful and for them to go out in the way they did and for them to inherently have helped Joel and Ellie so much and the fact that they had ongoing friendships with Joel and Tess for a while. Yeah. Oh.
0: I think it also, it fixes something that, not fixes, but this is a change where we get the sense in the game that they didn't end on good terms, Frank and Bill. Right. Um, Which this change in the show... I think yeah, just the fact that there is a couple who get what like they get what they want out of life and and fulfilled, um, in a world where most people life is taken abruptly, mm. um, for so many whether it's being torn apart by raiders or becoming an infected or like Riley, we'll get to Riley in a sec as well. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a really. That, that, that's an example of a change in an adaptation that doesn't actually, like it's it's a notable change of character, but it's not a change of theme. Like it fits mm. the thesis of the show, mm. um, you know, in a really mm. awesome way.
1: I think like just going back to that thing I said before about how good like TV episodes, like you never like leave in the same place as you began. Like two of the episodes that, where we are as a viewer change the most are two flashback episodes. Like we learn so much, so much changes in the story for things that happened 10 years ago, that happened a year ago, that happened in the past, which I think is just like, you know, I'll go back to like Arrow, so much flashbacks and you learn something and you're like, that's fucking stupid. (laughs) But like you learn flashbacks in this, that like, as you said, the Riley and Ellie episode, like Mm. things that come up and you're just like, this all makes sense. I understand, like, why, why like, Ellie is like what she is with trust and opening up. I understand things like this, and it is so good.
0: So I – the most recent time I played through the game, I attempted to play through at the same pace as the show mm. as it was coming out. So I'd watch an episode of the show, then I'd pick up the controller at some point during that week and play up until the end of where the episode finished for that week. Um. And then I would get too into it, and I just played through and finished yeah. the game again. <laughs> um, but I, I had never played. So the the Riley episode, which is called Left Behind,
1: um, oh, as so I can expect, like um, was a DLC. Movie. Yeah, that's DLC. that's
0: yeah. telling the story in the DLC. I hadn't ne- the I did not have the DLC on PlayStation Four, mm. uh, having got the the remaster on PlayStation Five earlier this year. That comes with the DLC. Mm. Um, so played Left Behind for the first time after I'd finished watching the show. So the left behind episode was actually, I'd read about the story, Mm. but it was the first time that I'd actually experienced and met Riley on screen. Mm. And then of course, as soon as by the time I got to that episode, I then went and played the DLC afterwards and and there's a lot more action involved, um, which is, that's another thing which we'll get to just after this is the, the way that action is used in the show compared to the game. But I think it's a perfect example, like you say, of flashback serving narrative momentum mm. and recontextualizing every episode that comes before that um, because the way that Ellie responds to particularly Tess while she's around but then also Joel when being asked about her past makes so much more sense having seen the left behind episode and that then informs the decisions that she makes in the finale Um, because when she says in the finale all the things that i've done all the things that we've been through to get to this point it can't all be for nothing that the her her losing riley is one of the key things that she i think holds in her mind as she's weighing up that decision. It's like, mm. well, I've lost Riley. I should have... It's nothing that I did that saved me. Mm. Um, and we learn a little bit about why she potentially is immune um, in the finale with her birth scene. Um, I now owe it to people like Riley to try and find make this mm. cure. Um, yeah, so I th- I, th- I think in the past there have been flashbacks in different whether it's a book or a film or a tv show or whatever where i just it kind of kills momentum mm. and i have read people criticizing this episode for that that it kills the momentum of the main narrative but i think this is a perfect example of a flashback that actually serves the narrative moving forward um yeah we might let, let's jump sideways a little bit mm. action and violence Mm-hmm. How far into the game are you at the moment? Um, so Tess obviously hasn't died. Tess hasn't yet died.
1: You. So I've started coming up a few clickers. Like I've I'm I'm fighting clickers
0: now. Yep. And have you fought off people yet? Yeah. two yeah. Very different combats. So the game is brutal. Oh yeah. It forces you. This is part of the whole thing with the game, and p- because it's a RPG action game part of keeping the player engaged involves combat mm. and the mechanics of, um, you know, you can stealth your way through, you can try and distract people, or you can go in guns blazing and fight your way through, like it's up to the player. But at the end of the day, it's the action and the violence that keeps the audience member, the gamer, engaged in the narrative, mm. which works for a game. But when it comes to television or film, that becomes very tiring very quickly. Mm. So, I think they did very well in terms of using violence sparingly, in a way that is really impactful, because it doesn't lose its impact in the game. But I think it would in a show if you're watching Joel. I agree. Constantly knifing people and mm. shooting them in the head and, um, yeah.
1: Like that's where like. You know, something like Game of Thrones. Like, by the end, it's like, okay, John's invincible and no one can kill him. He's just killing a bunch of people again. Oh. But yeah. when you have that, like, episode, like you mentioned, with the big extra special zombie thing, like, that's probably the one episode with the most, you know. Yeah. He's just killing clickers. He's just mm-hmm. killing things. Like, that, and it that, doesn't need more than
0: that. That sequence in the game, while we're there, mm. is phenomenal. Phenomenal. You spend the entire sequence up in the bell tower, looking through the scope of the sniper, protecting Ellie and Sam and the other guy. Um, That's another. But the benefit of TV is that you can switch perspectives. And so we get Joel up in the bell tower with the sniper, but we also follow Ellie and the others down on the ground level. Um, not something you can do in the game because in a game you're bound by the perspective of the character you're playing. Mm. Um, but yeah, you were saying about the, that episode five with the the bloaters. Yeah, I was just
1: going to say that like, that's kind of the episode where it's got the most of that kind of, you know.
0: That and probably the intro to like the day zero. Yes. Infection yeah. day on in, in in the first episode. And like, you that, know. That plane crashed, dude. <sighs> <at the first. laughs>
1: And like things, if I want to watch like a John Wick style thing, I'll, I'll watch John Wick. Yeah. Like if I want to watch beautifully choreographed, constant fighting, no real emotional, like, like I've seen the first three John Wick movies, love them. I love John Wick movies. You'll love John Wick 4 then. It's but like, so good. <laughs> I don't want that in a show like this. Like, like this show is not a zombie driven show. It's a character driven show.
0: Yeah. It's, it's about Joel and it's Ellie. It's about
1: Joel and Ellie. And
0: that moral dilemma mm. at the end. That's the point of the show.
1: Yeah. And I think if there were more, if it was more violent, like if there, were like, like as in not more violent, as in more gruesome, like if there was more action, violence, more action, yeah. more action, I don't know. It would just be like, oh yeah, there's another action. Oh yeah. Like I know he'll get through cause he has to get to the end to do the thing. Yeah. So I, I think it was so perfectly paced and the perfect amount of action.
0: Yeah, I agree. You were saying before that um, you're experiencing throwing bricks and bottles for the first (laughs) time in the game.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) like when John T. like arrived at my place, I was like, I've got one thing that I'm annoyed that's not in the show. (laughs) Joel never throws a brick or a bottle at anything. (laughs) It's like, how does he distract clickers?
0: (laughs) when When you're bad at video games like me- and, and you run man. out of your ammo because you can't aim. <laughs> bricks and bottles become very important. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's like I have
1: to throw a thing so I can sneak up on a clicker and shiv it in the face. Like that's what, I, like that's what I have to do. I have to smash a bad guy in the face with a brick because I've run out of bullets because I'm shit at shooting. But Joel here, he never once, like, does that. I don't think he ever shivs a clicker in the in the show. I can't remember. But that's I like- know,
0: a, I know Ellie does because she's got a switchblade. Yeah. And we see, um, I think it's Anna. That's her mom's name. Mm. She shivs that- Yeah, that like, one. That um, infected. Yeah,
1: so I guess that's fine. But like, like th- throwing a brick at a clicker's face so it's a bit stunned. So then you can, like, that doesn't happen. I'm like-
0: I saw hey. a, I think it was a tweet maybe. Someone said, it was like two or three episodes into the show They were saying like- uh, Show's really good, but I'm kind of annoyed at it for not including the scene where Joel dies in the first clicker room 12 times in a <laughs> row and regrets buying the game. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's definitely been my experience in playing yeah. the game. Yeah. Do you have any other notes there that you want to cover in terms of the show?
1: Um. Oh yeah. I just, so the, f- I've got like a paragraph over it, which we talked about, which is just about the decision at the end. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, the other thing was David.
0: Yeah, let's talk about David.
1: What an amazing villain.
0: So- Like, the worst- Oh, yeah, he's horrific.
1: And it's the thing that, you know, I'm going to say it again, I love about the first five-ish seasons of Game of Thrones, the worst villains in the show are people, because people is bad, like-
0: (laughs) But, like, people that are trying to do the right thing- Mm. So David is, and, and maybe this is something we could talk about, do the village know that they're eating people? Has resorted to feeding their dead to to the rest of the village so they can survive. Because mm. um, that place is a resort. In the summer, they must have found it and gone mm. unreal. We found the perfect place to settle. There's game in the forest um, come winter. They're struggle like they're in struggle street and David takes what he sees as the only option to lead his people and to protect his people. Yeah. Which is to start chewing on Chewing on dead human. humans.
1: And like like even when he gets the deer <coughs> that he steals from Ellie, like he's still feeding them human. And like I don't know if I saw this wrong, but like he's very clearly getting like bigger bowls of stew than everyone else. So there's that kind of- He's
0: playing into that kind of archetype of the cult leader. The cult leader. The father, yeah. Yeah. Like
1: the very, I'm your savior kind of thing, which I'm like, oh yeah, that's what a lot of like leaders of religious institutions are like, or what cults are like. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, this is such a real experience for so many people. Which might not necessarily lead to cannibalism in, like, reality. No, but if you're leading a but,
0: group of people and that's the only yeah. option to survive, if it's, mm. it's that or you starve. Yeah. I'd it, be interesting
1: to know what would happen if he had killed Ellie and then fed Ellie to the people. Like, would they have become infected? Would they have become immune? Would it have done nothing? I don't know. Food for thought.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> And it's interesting, like, um, is Sam the younger brother?
1: Yes. Of the oh. two.
0: She she doesn't know how her immunity works, and so when when mm. he discloses to her he's that he's been bitten, she actually yeah, and this is an addition from the game, this isn't in the game, tries to give him some of her blood. Mm. Um And obviously we find out very shortly that, that doesn't work. That's not work. So um yeah, I would assume that by eating Ellie they they it wouldn't make them immune. Um but yeah, like we said, um the voice actor of Joel is David's right-hand man, mm. called James. Um it's wonderful to he- see him yeah. show up. I was it, it was it's kind of a bit confusing, but also kind of exciting to see him get killed by Ellie. Yeah. Um, and he, but he's such a great voice actor that he is vocally unrecognizable from mm-hmm. the Joel in the game. Um, this was just really exciting, both him and, um, Ashley Johnson showing up in that last episode as well. Um, yeah, but I think, uh, how did you feel about, cause in the game, it's not as explicit as in the show, in the show, it's clear that he doesn't just want to eat Ellie he, before that, actually wants Ellie as, as is kind of, again, with like that archetypal twisted cult leader character, wants Ellie as like a wife. Mm. Um, which I think in the show, she is meant to be 16 or 17. Yeah. Um, very much outside the realms of <laughs> um, of consent and all of that wonderful stuff. So. It's a bit more explicit in portraying him as not just morally grey, and I mean, let's say morally reprehensible for eating people, but also he has this really dark, evil streak.
1: Mm. Um,
0: we see that come out in the game as well, mm. but I think in the show they make a more of a point of underlining that he doesn't just want to eat Ellie; he wants to have Ellie, mm. um, which I think makes his death even more complex because we then feel like we are more on Ellie's side when she snaps and goes into fight or flight and goes to fight and destroys that guy's face with a cleaver, which in the, um, in the game, I think it's with her knife, her switchblade. I could be wrong. Um, the the cleaver to the face is more brutal. Mm. Um, but so, I think just adds. I just that- want to
1: say, like, I made a look over to my kitchen where there's a massive cleaver on my knife block. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but like it, it just adds an, an extra layer of complexity to, like, yes, Ellie, get him, like, dispatch mm. that guy. He's even more evil than perhaps we thought of him in, in the game. But that just piles on more trauma. Yeah. Which and we and we see her stumbling out of that diner that's burning down. Just a completely different person. Yeah. No longer a child. Absolutely. Which makes, which is why the giraffe scene in the next episode is so important. Because it reminds Joel that she is still a child. Like yeah. There is still, I think, whether he's thinking of Sarah directly, but there's still that father element that he feels towards her. Mm-hmm. And that that child is still there. It's been severely traumatized and she's had to grow up very quickly. Mm.
1: And I think because like Joel has never been a father to someone who's older than 15 or 16. Mm. So like to have someone that age, but B have lived like a life that is so beyond that. I don't know. It's just another interesting, (laughs) interesting addition, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got any other notes you wanted to cover? Yeah.
1: I just wanted to say um, most heartbreaking thing of all is when like Ellie was sharing when she's like, yeah, we said that we would lose our minds together and she did and I didn't.
0: Yeah. It's like, fuck. I, I think it's like, tasteful that we don't see that.
1: Yes. That would have, I think- like there are things we see that I'm like, that's a lot, but that, like, there's nothing, there's no violence, there's nothing like that that doesn't need to be in there. It's
0: never gratuitous. Yeah,
1: which is another thing. Where if we look at the last season of Game of Thrones, there are things I'm like, we didn't need to see that. Yeah, like it, it doesn't push the story, it doesn't anything. If we had seen her kill Riley, yeah, that would have been in a that would have been not yeah. appropriate.
0: And this is a difference again between the game and the show. In the game. You're being forced to take part in the violence, mm-hmm. and part of what the game is setting out to achieve is to make you feel uncomfortable about taking part in violence. Mm. There's a moment in, and again, I'm not. This isn't a spoiler. Um, there's a moment in part two, where as one character, you're forced to kill a dog because that dog is trying to kill you. Mm. Later in the game, as a different character in a flashback, you're prompted to play fetch with that same dog. For example, there's all this stuff, and, and it does uh, the first time you shoot someone in the first game is someone pinned to the ground under some rubble that's been infected and is crying, like, kill me, please kill me, and you can't move on until you are forced to put that guy out of his misery. So it's it's forcing you to take part in violence that's really, really uncomfortable. Mm. The show doesn't... You're not taking part in the action in the show. Mm. You're watching. You're not driving the action. So I think it made a really smart choice in dialing back on the brutality of some of the violence because at that point, you're just watching it yeah, and... I think that can come across as watching it for the sake of enjoying it, mm. which is the whole point of the game is not that. Is that you're <laughs> not meant to be enjoying it. You're meant to be confronted by the fact that sometimes you have to take part in violence to, to, for your own safety or for other people's safety. Um, and that shouldn't be easy. Like, that's actually a really difficult thing to do. Mm. So I think that the show did a really, really good job in maintaining the brutality of the world but dialing back on what would, I think, just end up being gratuitous just yeah. watching as opposed to taking part. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think if there anything else that we know. I mean, there's so much that we could talk about. I just kind of wanted to generally go over it because it's something that we both watched recently and absolutely loved. Both loved it, yeah.
1: Um, I can't wait for the next season.
0: So I think a couple of things that I noticed that were really exciting little nods to season two Mm. and where this is headed into the future. And I think last I heard part two of the game is going to be split up into two seasons of television, which if you have played part two, you will possibly have some inkling of why that is the case. Um, And I will say, I said before there might be spoilers. I'm actually not going to spoil anything (coughs) because Marty hasn't, hasn't played (laughs) part two of the game and and wants to go in unspoiled, which is totally fair enough. When Joel and Ellie meet Tommy in the town, there's a young girl who is spying on Ellie, Mm. who she turns around and goes, the fuck are you looking at? And it's really rude to her. (laughs) Again, in the HBO podcast, Craig Mazin said, I'm not saying that that is a character that we know from part two, but I'm also not saying that it isn't. There's a good chance that that is a character called Dina that we're going to run into in season two. Um... Also, the name of uh, the horse that Ellie gets at one point is Shimmer, which is the name of the horse that she rides in part two, which is very – that was a beautiful little nod. And there are a few other things which um, if you follow along on socials, there are some cameos, one in particular in that final scene in the surgery room. There's a cameo of a very particular voice actor, which you can Google – um, if you want, um, all, all I'll say is that that doctor that mm. Joel kills in the surgery room becomes very important. Um, a lovely little Easter egg there with, with one of the doctors in the room. We, I was talking to Jack Sherlock a few episodes ago about Dune, mm. about what how, how that first movie functions as a setup for part two mm. of Dune. And we talked about that being really... Really wonderful at setting those things up. I think not only has this season of television adapted, I think, one of the great narratives of the 21st century, but he has laid such good groundwork for things that are going to come later. Which, and not in a way that viewers who haven't played part two are going to go, like, it'll stick out and be like, that's weird. Purely in little details, little casting choices, little throwaway lines of dialogue which if you know have so much resonance and fill me with a lot of confidence that they know what they're doing moving forward which is really exciting really exciting um yeah we might start to wind it down here because we've spoken fairly broadly about this season of of tv Are there any other final thoughts that you wanted to throw in on this
1: um they should just get all pregnant people to get bitten.
0: <laughs> I've solved it. Problem solved. Um, so we tend to do a, a little time machine thing at the end of these episodes mm. where we talk about movies from the year that whatever we're talking about came out. Television that's been coming out this year, the only other show... So I re-watched Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. I've watched bits and pieces of Peacemaker... I haven't finished that yet and have just watched the first two episodes of the new season of The Mandalorian. That's it. And The Last Mm. of Us. So maybe you could probably talk a little bit with a bit more authority about some of the TV that's coming out this year.
1: Yeah. So The Mandalorian, I've been texting Jonty. I'm like, there've been two nods in particular that I've been like, (gasps) first one, which you would have seen, but you might not have noticed the droid that with like the astromech droid that is... Like Amy Sidaris's, that I yep. think Aden takes with him, uh-huh. is the droid. I'm pretty sure from A New Hope that starts going off with Luke and Uncle Owen, but then kind of blows up, and then they take R two because Amy Sidaris gets it from the Jawas.
0: Oh yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I think there that's the
1: same droid. Second one, which I'm sure you've seen on the internet, mm-hmm. Ahmed Best plays the Jedi that saves Grogu. I'm I'm watching this show, right? I see him show up, and I'm just like, "Holy shit, it's fucking Jar Jar Binks!" And like, uh, like I live alone in an apartment, and I'm like, just kind of having a quiet Wednesday, and I yell that out, um, which, and I saw a lot of kind of discourse that was like, "Oh, it's the ultimate redemption. This guy didn't need redemption. That's on you." Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I like that. You know, as it's no secret, I love Star Wars. I've Bad Batch just finished up. I really enjoyed that. It's a bit kind of monster of the week kind of thing, but I really liked it. Um,
0: are you a Succession I've watcher? Not seen. Okay, because as we're recording this, the final season is just wrapping mm. up.
1: There's um, a, a there's a season of TV coming out in a couple of weeks that I'm incredibly excited for from my favorite comedy group.
0: Oh, the new Auntie Donna. The new
1: Auntie Donna um hell yeah i've been watching auntie Donna's a bigger house of fun for the third or fourth time it's the only comedy show that i can rewatch and laugh consistently every time like you know i'll rewatch parks and rec and i might not laugh as much at a joke as i did the first time not the case with this always laughing funniest boys
0: um they're good and shout out to their podcast as well go and listen to them. it's the best <laughs>
1: it's It'd be my second favourite podcast of all time behind the Weekly Planet. Because once again, I'm a nerd. (laughs) Um, What other television? Wednesday was last year.
0: What about movies? Have you seen any good... What's your favourite thing that you've seen Mm. come out this year so far? Um, So we're only... This is... We're recording this on the first day of April. So we've only had three months worth of Mm. movies.
1: Um, So movies I've watched for the first time this year that I've really liked. I love... Loved the menu. The menu was very good. Watch that with a dear friend of mine. Um, menu was good. Yeah, the menu I was like, really good. That one. Yeah. Um, I saw Shazam Fury of the Gods, which was fun. That's about, <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> Not much more you can say about it? Not much
1: more about that? It was fun. You know, I thought it was funny. The first one is full of heart and family and soul. This one. Not so much. Not so much.
0: <laughs> I saw the trailer and saw big CGI dragon things flying around. And yeah. I was like, oh no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a potential ongoing gag in the post-credit scenes, which could be the funniest ongoing gag of all time. This is a mild spoiler for people who haven't seen Shazam 2. I feel like if you haven't seen it now, you're not going to see it. But, um, so the end of the first movie, like like Mark Strong is in his thing and then I don't know the name of the Caterpillar, but the Caterpillar comes in and he's like, we're going to, I'll come back. We're going to take over the world. And then this movie happens either two or four years later. It's unclear. Comes back and Mark Strong's got this big beard and it comes back and he's like, I've been waiting. And it's like, I have to go get something else. <laughs> and I can just imagine the post credit scene of every like DC movie going forward. is just little Caterpillar coming into Mark Strong's prison cell and going like, Hold on, I just got to get one more thing and that would be really funny. Um, so that movie was fine. Ant-Man and the Wasp was fine. Um, I loved Cocaine Bear,
0: actually. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Cocaine Bear for a bit because I think I liked it well enough. Mm. I kind of was hoping for it to be a bit crazier than it was. Yeah. It was pretty middle. I, I In retrospect, look, it does everything that it says on the tin. Yes. It's about a bear that does cocaine and then goes on a rampage <laughs> and kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, I just thought, like, it was weirdly, like, the, a lot of the... Not the comedy around the bear, but the character-based comedy was weirdly flat. Yeah. And, like, sitcom mm. And I could not get on with that mm. part of the movie. But, I mean, in terms of... I was kind of hoping for some more crazy bear kills. And there, mm. are, there are a few...
1: The um, ambulance scene is one of the better, se- like yeah. one of the better action sequences I've seen in a while. And then actually a, a human scene, the one in the gazebo is uh-huh. hysterical. Yep. Um That cop is, it's a funny character. I think yeah. Alden, like there are so many characters. <laughs> um, I love seeing like a character actress, Margot Martindale in it. Um, yeah. She's fantastic. She was funny. Bojack joke for you. Um, She's great. Um, I love Alden Ehrenreich. But there's just... There's a lot of character work and I'm like, I kind of just want to see a bear go nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it also... I I couldn't really get past the fact that at the end of the day, it's kind of making a joke out of a story that ended in tragic animal death. And... Like, it says yeah. based on a true story at the beginning of the movie and the, the true story is a bear ate a bunch of cocaine and then died.
1: Which they brought the taxidermied bear to the premiere.
0: Oh, did they actually? <laughs> How fucked up is that? Pablo Escobar, <laughs> that's what yeah. they call it.
1: I'm pretty sure that's true. That could be false, but no, I don't care. Yeah.
0: I'm uh, just looking through yeah. my letterbox. Um, this, I've seen a bunch of stuff this year so far. I think favorite so far would be Pearl, which is un real i'm assuming you probably haven't seen this one it was a limited release um mia goth is just and and infinity pool hasn't come out here in australia yet but that's another mia goth Mm -hmm. picture I, i just think she's one of the sickest screen presences around at the moment um so highly highly recommend pearl john Wick chapter 4 was sick um it's probably 20 minutes too long but it really doesn't matter because there's one moment in particular where the camera starts in just like a kind of regular looking shot of John Wick halfway up a staircase coming up into a room that's full of dudes that he's got to make his way through. The camera then cranes up to like a bird's eye view and the entire set is like like five different rooms all connected and an entire unbroken shot takes place with him moving through different rooms above the ceiling, mm. the camera above the ceiling, going, and you can see where all the people are moving and it is just glorious i sat there watching literally with my jaw like my mouth open just like how is this like (laughs) how did they pull this off this is amazing and he's using like a shotgun that he stole from one of the enemies that has like incendiary rounds so every time he fires it like that the enemy and the wall behind them just like explode into flames it's the (laughs) sickest thing ever um a three hour fight scene shouldn't work but it does Mm. it's just and part of it as well and and Kermode talks about this on Kermode and May's take um, that the like a great action film is more like a musical or a dance film than anything else because it's about watching the choreography and the just the seamless like the rehearsal and everything come together in this performative thing that is physical and visceral um, and you throw. Bloody squibs flying everywhere <laughs> on top of it as well, and gunfire. And it just, it's just glorious to watch. And usually action films aren't my thing, like they kind of bore me, but John Wick 4 goes yeah. off.
1: I love the first three. I, I remember watching the third one and I stopped it and I was like, i oh, got 20 minutes to go. Oh, I went and did, no, no, it was like half an hour. And I went back and I recently finished it. So that's the best last sequence of a movie in a long time when there's like, oh no, they've got armor. Try these bullets, yeah, and then it's
0: like, oh, oh dear, that person is not personing anymore. And and I've seen like people complaining that like the Kevlar suits, with like like dress (laughs) dress suits that John Wick wears, that are Kevlar. So like he can like hold his jacket up over his yeah. head and that deflects ball. Oh, That's not very realistic. Yeah, of course it isn't. <laughs> it's in like case. it's like complaining about a musical when they start singing. Like, where's the music yeah. coming from? Why does anyone notice that everyone just started? Because it's a musical. Yeah, like that's just how these <laughs> movies work. Like, just suspend your disbelief for a second. It's fiction. Yeah. Um. The the only other one that I want to mention, I've seen a, a handful so far this year, but After Sun came out um in Australia this year. It came out late last year everywhere mm. else. Paul Mescal, who's in Normal People, on... In Stan, I think, in Australia. Um, it's just... I don't even want to talk about it too much other than just to say, if you haven't seen After Sun, go and watch After Sun. It's why we go to the movies. It mm. is so fucking good. It's so good. And I'm... Look, uh, look I'm, I'm glad um, that best actor at the... Um, like, leading actor went to Kiki Kwan at the Academy Awards... God, best oh, Supporting Actor. Sorry, who did um Best Actor go to? Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I was so excited to see Paul Mascal get nominated as a 20-something-year-old for his performance mm-hmm. in After Sun. If, if you're going off purely The Whale's fine, Brendan Fraser's performance is the best thing about that movie. It carries that movie. Paul Mascal's performance in After Sun is... I think we'll still be talking about it in 15, 20 years. He is just unbelievable. So if you haven't seen After Sun, go and see After Sun and I'll keep harping on about it on the show <laughs> until more people have seen it because it was a little indie film um, and it's just fantastic.
1: Speaking of like little indie films that are great, well, it's not really little anymore, won a thousand Oscars, but like everything, everywhere all at once, which is like... It's rare that a movie gets as much hype as it is and it's not disappointing. This movie's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's great. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, has she deserved an Oscar in the past?
0: Yeah, yeah. Possibly, maybe. Is she the best
1: supporting actress in that movie? Nope. Not even in that movie. Nope. (laughs) I get, like- Give it to- Stephanie Sue? Sue yeah. Her? Yeah,
0: yeah. She is, uh, yeah. I was so, uh, again, young actress. I was super psyched to see her in the nominations. I was really hoping that she'd pull an, an underdog win. <clears throat> Jamie Lee Curtis's win is, a, I'm going to say it, a bit of a joke. A bit of a joke.
1: She's in it but for so little. And talk. like, she's fine. Like, she's not bad in it, but she doesn't, like, I didn't look at Jamie Lee Curtis in that and go, gee, that's a great performance.
0: Like the prosthetic boobs did half the heavy lifting. Yeah. The
1: <laughs> and like, like the sausage fingers, like, but at no point did I watch it and go, that's an Oscar winning performance. But as yeah. soon as I saw Kehi Kwan, I was like, holy shit.
0: Kerry Condon in Banshee's mm-hmm. *Sharon*. Yep. <laughs> yep. What?
1: Stephanie Sue in the same movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't through it, but like, it's an industry awards yeah. ceremony. It doesn't like, matter. It literally doesn't matter. It matters in the sense that it's a, it's an exercise in promotion. Mm. Um, what I will say, and I think I, I, I mentioned this in maybe a Q&A on Instagram that I was doing, um, Decision to Leave mm. got no nominations. And I was reading a bunch of people and their takes online about the fact that Everything Everywhere All at Once already had a bunch of nominations, even though it's an American-Chinese co-production, mm that that possibly played into why the Academy didn't give any nominations to decision to leave another quote unquote Asian movie. Is that the one that decision to leave is a Korean movie and not a Chinese American production. (laughs) Um, and I don't, I don't read into this because, you know, um, at the end of the day, it is a bunch of old white men voting on the movies that they think other people might've seen. Like I, I'm not convinced that the, that the Academy actually see all the movies that they, (laughs) that they nominate. Um, In fact, I'm certain that they don't see every movie because more often than not, the best movies of the year don't get nominated. Um, But I just think it's an interesting thing to look at everything, everywhere, all at once, not only getting nominated for a bunch of awards but also winning, I think, like, deservedly winning a whole bunch of awards and a movie like Decision to Leave, which is a masterpiece directed by a director who is world-renowned as a master filmmaker getting no nominations especially after parasites big win a few years ago as a korean film um i just think it's kind of interesting that that movie got nothing not even one nomination yeah um uh, so go and see decision to leave if you haven't seen it as well because that movie is phenomenal it's it's like the only it's the only thing i can think of in terms of movies that have come out this century that come close to that like hitchcockian Mystery thriller with like weird, darkly humorous undertones, suspense. Yeah, it's 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 a very particular tone that immediately, as soon as it started, I was like, "This is like a Hitchcock film." Mm. Um, so yeah, a bit disappointed that I didn't get anything. Then also go
1: watch Parasite because it's freaking awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Parasite rules.
1: And like, there's a bunch of comedy in Parasite that I don't get because, you know, it might not translate through the subs or like like culturally I might not, you mm-hmm. know, understand it. That movie is freaking hilarious. And I think it doesn't get the justice it deserves for how funny it is. Like mm. the fact that a movie can make me laugh as much as it does, like through subs. And like, I haven't watched things with subs a lot. Like, and that was kind of the first thing that I watched with subs, except mm-hmm. for- I think I watched How's Moving Castle with subs once because someone was like, don't watch the dub. So I watched the subs and I was like, yeah, this is, this is still good. It's still a great movie. Um, oh, it's Parasite, man. <laughs> oh, just like, you know, things like her using the wrong cut of meat. Like, I'm just like, don't use Wagyu in those noodles, you idiot. Like, there are things that I notice, but like the type of noodles and the things like that, that you don't know, like... I don't know because I've never made those kind of noodles before. There are yeah, a bunch like, of like the Korean culture things, things. that yeah, yeah. I like. If it was an Australian movie, I'd go
0: huh, shapes. <laughs> <laughs> Serving VB at a at a corporate event.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, oh no, they're using multi-grain bread for their fairy bread. Yeah, <laughs> oh no, like things like that. That that's like yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Yeah, it's
0: those little cultural quirks that we mm. uh, I say we the two of us yeah. don't, don't have um just don't have that reference mm. point for um I, and that's often why i think oh, th- this is a whole conversation for another time but like that that stereotype that australian movies like when you when you hear the phrase australian movie that just means it's slow and boring watch um,
1: save your legs you bastard <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right let's wrap this up We've been right. going for far too long um yeah the last of us a bit of a departure for this show we covering a TV show but I hope you enjoyed listening. Um if you haven't seen it and uh I hope this has uh, prompted you to go and see it because it's even if you know what happens it's it's worth watching. Like I'm going to go back and rewatch it. I've already pre-ordered the 4K steelbook. Mm. Sorry Claire if you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've already pre-ordered that so I'll be going back over and watching it again when that when that arrives. Um yeah, um anything that you want to plug while you're here?
1: Um Convince the government to put more money into the arts. The um, university should be free. Um, a good, a good-ish election result. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, plug, um, go watch. What's a show that people should watch that people have I mean, Something the Stuff that you're doing. The Sandman, <laughs> everyone go watch The Sandman.
0: <laughs> um, what's your band called? <laughs>
1: my band's called Afterthought. Um, good music we don't have any gigs coming up i've got another band which is got some great songs coming up i wrote a song yesterday it's really good it's pretty sad
0: we'll put links in the show we'll put notes. links
1: in the show notes when we finish those songs <laughs> um yeah just just follow me on instagram if you want What's marty, your underscore, marty underscore cornford i post very rarely but my stories are sometimes funny cool Cool. Um, go and go catch him there. Yeah. I've you got know. Letterboxd, which, but, you know, I don't know how to link that to my Instagram. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I might link that down below as well if people want to go and follow Marty on Letterboxd. Uh, everyone knows where to find me if you're listening to this show. <laughs> just, yeah, you, you already are following me, <laughs> so good on you. Um, we, depending on when this comes out, we'll be coming back to our David Lynch narrative next week. Uh, but until then, Marty, thanks for joining.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: worries um yeah we'll see you next week goodbye bye thanks for listening as always please make sure to give this podcast a friendly review wherever it is that you're catching it and share it with a friend five star written reviews on apple podcasts mean a lot so if you're able to do that and contribute to this podcast reaching more people then really that would be amazing If you want to get in touch about The Last of Us or anything else that we've covered on this show, you can either find us on socials or you can email us directly at bluerose.filmreview at gmail.com. If you don't already follow the show on Instagram, that's a great place to connect with me and a whole bunch of other people that love films. My first short story collection called Where Lies the Strangling Fruit is available to buy on paperback or Kindle on Amazon. I'll have the link for that down below. Thanks again to Marty for joining me on this week's episode. Thanks to producer Ritterman for our theme music. And thanks to Acast for hosting this podcast. That's all for now. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Blue Rose Film Podcast.